getting that money every month. Well, now we have a lot of discussion in our in this area and probably a lot of areas about who's going to heaven. And everybody has an opinion about who they think's going to heaven. And we live in a, a society in an area where everybody has thinks that well, you belong to this church, you get to go to heaven. Or if you do so many works, if you do 20 hours a month of works for your life, then you get to go to heaven. There's all kinds of things that they say that is uh, how you make it to heaven. But I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, if you want to turn there. And usually, if you not usually, always, if you want to know an answer to a question, no matter what it is, the best place is to go to the Bible. Because that, you know, this, this is a pretty good book. I think God knew what he was doing when he put this thing together. Because I've yet to find a subject that isn't somehow uh, talked about in this book. And when you think about that, that's kind of marvelous in itself that even today, because it's not old-fashioned, some of the words they use may be a little, little old-fashioned, but basically everything that's in there, it addresses just as much today as it did for the time that it was written. And this morning, the thing we're going to be talking about is going to sound like it was just today's line, today's right here where we live. <clears throat> now, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. If you're there, we're going to start in the verse, start with verse 9. <clears throat> Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor abusers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetousness, or drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Of such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Corinth, where this was written, written to, it was kind of like the sin city of the ancient time in the first century. This was sin city. This place would be the Vegas of the world. We all know that Vegas, we call it sin city. Well, they couldn't hold a candle this place because this place was really a, uh, not the best place to be if you wanted to try to live a moral life because this Corinth was a, it was a seaport. And so with the seaport, with all the, the commerce and things that went through there, they, of course, had a lot of sailors and a lot of people came through there. And Corinth was kind of stationed between, there was body water here and there's one over here. And the smaller ships, what actually what they would do was they would get the smaller ships, and I'm not talking about the big, huge ones, but the smaller uh, vessels, they would actually put, take them out of the water and move them across even over into the other, the other body of water on the small ones. The other ones, they would unload cargo, and then they'd be you know, going across into Corinth and go into the other sea, which would save a lot of time in shipping time. And back then, a lot of time to be saved, you know, you're talking probably maybe a month to go all around the peninsula and everything to get around there. So this was a very uh, popular place. So we had all the sailors coming through, and we know what kind of reputation sailors have, don't we? <laughs> you know, hey, man, they hit port. They've been out sea for months or whatever, and, man, they're just going to let their hair down. Well, this was a very crowded place, but it was also a tourist site. We go to a lot of tourist sites, and when we live in a tourist environment here, of course, 
They aren't, they aren't coming to see the beautiful Grand Canyon. They were coming because they had the, a great temple of Amphrodites there. Now, this goddess was the goddess of sex. And the way that you worshipped this god was you went in and you, you got a temple prostitute and you, you had sex, sex in church. <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, I don't think Vegas isn't quite that bad yet. <laughs> Anyone don't think so. I hope not anyway. So that's kind of the environment that this place was. And they had a thousand, over a thousand temple prostitutes in Corinth. Now that's a lot of prostitutes. And it was just right out there in the open. At least today, ours are at least a little bit hidden, you know, to a certain degree, unless you go on certain trees, streets and they're all over the place. But this is right at the church. Hey, I'm going to church. <laughs> That'd be quite, quite the place. But anyway, this is kind of the environment that Corinth was. And this was the place where Paul went and he established a strong church in this environment. Well, a lot of these people, because of this environment, they were wondering, you know, who, who can go to heaven? Because if you're looking at all this sin and all these things around you, you want to know that. So evidently, this was a question that they were asking, and it's a question that we ask today, isn't it? There's a lot of people that ask that. Of course, we're a little more moral in our own thoughts, generally speaking, here, so a lot of some of these issues maybe we wouldn't be wondering about. But they were because of the environment they were raised with. And when you're raised in a certain environment, it's hard to know that this is wrong or this is wrong if you're ra raised with the idea that it's right. So this is the environment that, we were th that Corinth was. And this is why that uh, Paul wrote this. Now, we like to believe that everyone that, that we know, when they die, they go to heaven. Don't we? We like to, to think that. But you know, I've never been to a funeral where you go to the funeral and the pastor stands up there or the minister, they stand up there and say, this is the rottenest man I have ever known in my life. He was a conniver. He, he stole things. He, he, he abused people. He took advantage of people. He ripped people off. He was just a no-good scoundrel. And he's burning in hell right now. <laughs> you ever heard a sermon like that on a funeral? <laughs> Now, it's kind of amazing when you go to funerals of people. There's a story of this, of this minister that was awakened about 2 o'clock in the morning by one of his parishioners, a guy that went to his church, and his um, brother-in-law had got killed in a car accident, and he couldn't get a hold of, his, uh, of their minister for some reason, so he called his pastor and asked if he would go tell, notify his sister that her husband had been killed. Well... That's just one of the jobs that pastors do. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, whatever time it is. So he went over there and he did that. And it was later the next day that this pastor found out that this guy, when he got killed in the car accident, he was on his way home after spending most of the night with his mistress. That's when he got killed. And he went to the funeral of the guy, and the pastor went up there and talked about how what a pillar of the community this guy was and how moral he was and how wonderful he was and that right now he's running the streets of glory and Jesus is by his side and, and all this other kind of stuff. And they think, man, <laughs> but that's what it is, you know. It doesn't matter what you do in this life. It doesn't matter how you live your life. You see, we all still get to go to the same place. There's some people that teach that. Not according to these verses, though. Verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He tells us, don't be deceived. 
The world may be telling us some of this stuff is okay, but we have to back up and don't be deceived, Paul says. God says, don't be deceived. Just because someone tells you it's okay, that doesn't mean it is. What did God say about it? And Paul has an answer here what God had to say about it. Now, he, Paul addresses ten sins. Now, half of these sins deal with sexual immorality. And I'll go through them a little bit. Uh, fornication. Now, some of these Old Testament words are kind of a little different. We're not used to them, so I'll, I'll translate them for you. Fornication is, means that any sexual relationship outside of marriage, and if you're not, especially if you're and not married. If you're not married and you're having sex outside of being married, that's fornication. That's what it is. Adultery, it's sex when you're having a relationship with somebody outside of marriage. We mostly know what that is because we hear a lot about that. Of course, in this day and age we live in, these two sins aren't even considered anything no big deal, are they? No, if you get caught in adultery, you just said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, and, you know, all's forgiven. Or the famous words of uh, Clinton, he said, I did not have sex with that woman. <laughs> Read my lips. <laughs> well, God calls that adultery. Of course, we all know that Jesus, you know, in case we were all thinking, well, I never did either one of those, or I'm not doing those. He says, if you're looking on a woman with lust in your heart, hey, you've already done it in your heart. So God kind of, okay, back up here a little bit. <clears throat> now, we live in a society where adultery is probably one of the, the most common sexual sin that we commit is, is, is Americans. We live in a society where we have men and women in the workplace, and a lot of places men and women go on our business trips together, and they're thrust into environments where it's so easy to be tempted into that lifestyle. So unless you have God in your heart and have a, you know, God helping you, the temptation's going to be there because the devil will see to it. So we have to be aware of that particular thing. And about all, half of all uh, marriages in America end in divorce. And I would say that most of these are due to adultery. You know, this is a, you know, a sorry figure, but the reality is that that same number even applies into the church. And that one I don't understand. I don't understand how you can go to church together, serve God together, and get divorced. I don't understand that because God says, hey, he hates divorce. Now, are there are circumstances. You know, I understand that. I've been divorced. I was divorced before I was a Christian. And there are circumstances that God allows for those kind of things to happen. If you're in an abusive, abusive situation, then, and that's the next thing that, that he mentions, abusers. <laughs> abusers. <laughs> hey, that's, God doesn't like that either. That includes sexual abuse, physical abuse, and pedophiles, and all any other kind of abuser that you can think of, mental abuse. If you're abusing your kids or your wife or your spouse, your neighbors, whoever it is, the scripture is, God doesn't like abusers. So, but there are instances where God allows for those kind of things that we can't get, you know, if you're in that situation, get out of it. If somebody's, you know, being a, be living in an abusive situation, that isn't God's will. God isn't, isn't God's will for somebody to uh, have to stay into an abusive situation if there's a way that you can get out. That isn't God's word. He doesn't say go there and be beat up every night. So anyway, and uh, <clears throat> so abusers, male prostitutes and homosexual offenders. Now male prostitutes, I mean, that's kind of something that we don't 
think as much about, but there's just as many male prostitutes, probably as there are women prostitutes. And I guess most of these prostitutes that was in Paul's time at this place in the city were male prostitutes. So what does that tell you about the society? <laughs> I don't think I'd like that society. And homosexual offenders. Now, we're constantly being barraged now with homosexual people or um, the powers of me trying to tell us we have to accept this. We have to accept this because it's an alternate lifestyle. God doesn't call it an alternate lifestyle. And if you want to know what God has to say about it, here it is. He tells us what he has to say about it. He says they're not going to heaven. They're not going to be in heaven. Those that practice these kind of things aren't going there. <clears throat> but this is the kind of the, the sexual things that was going on in Corinth. This was just no big deal. You'd walk down, see male prostitutes, see, see gay lifestyle all over the place and not bat an eye out of it because that's the way you're raised. No big deal. You know, we, they, we'd get a bigger uh, response of watching the Santa Claus in front of the Walmarts at Christmas time, ringing the bells. <laughs> that would draw more attention than what was going on in Corinth at the time. But see, in America, we're almost there, aren't we? We're almost the modern-day Corinth. We've got a lot of strong churches in America, though. Thank God for that. And we're going to stand here and fight and fight and fight against these kind of things. And I'll never call right what God calls wrong. We can't do it. We can't compromise those things. We have to stand up and say what God says. And I don't care whether they like it or not. And I'll, I'll always be here, and I'll always say that, and one day I'll be saying them through bars probably. But um, that's the way the, uh, America's going. If the Lord doesn't intervene and we don't have a revival, or we as Christians, because there's enough moral people in America that we don't have to tolerate this stuff. We can stand up. If all of us would stand up and say, hey, I'm not tolerating this anymore, we could change it. Because the ones that scream the loudest, those are the ones they listen to. Doesn't a squeak just drive you crazy if you got one in your car somewhere? A little noise, a little squeak or something just drives you crazy. And you're sitting there tearing that thing apart trying to find that squeak because it drives you crazy. Well, that's what the homosexual lifestyle is in our, in our society today. That's that squeak. But we as Christians need to make a louder squeak. And they'll be one saying, we don't care about them. There's more, more Christians we need to deal with, more righteous people that need to deal with instead of this 1% or 1.5% of people that's homosexual lifestyle. They're listening to the 1.5% of people over... 80% of our nation who doesn't believe in it. Now, what's wrong with that? We're not complaining. We're not griping. We need to start standing up. Now, a few years ago, if you were a student in school and they found a, a condom in your wallet or found you with a condom or something like that, you'd probably be expelled from school because they didn't tolerate that kind of stuff back then. When I was going to school, that society I grew up in. They didn't tolerate any that kind of stuff. Now they not only condone it, they hand them out. And they teach you how to use them. I'm going, look. And then we wonder why we live in an immoral society, why our kids are growing up so sex-oriented and so uh, toward the areas we don't want them to go. Well, hey, they're getting them in school. They're teaching them how at a young age. They figure, well, they're going to do it anyway. Well, who says they're going to do it anyway? You keep uh, blaming your kid for something, they're eventually going to do it, aren't they? We're going to get in trouble for it, I might as well do it. Everybody's doing it. That's the society we live in. <clears throat> so Paul says, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor idolaters. 
Now, of course, we know that idolaters are those that worship someone or something other than God. And they were worshiping Aphrodite, which was the goddess of sin, or of sex. And that's basically the god we, a lot of America worships today. We may not call it Aphrodite's, we call them sex symbols. <laughs> there's a lot of those around. Ask these young people <clears throat> when you talk to them, and they'll say, oh, she's hot. We all know what that means. <laughs> they don't say they get sex, they're a sex symbol. They say, oh, they're hot. We don't call them that, but basically, you know, we have them today. We just don't call them those things. We don't call them the fancy names that God calls them, but they're the same thing. Call it Aphrodite, or you can call it whoever your favorite sex symbol is. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, I'm amazed at these people. They go to see these, these singers and things, and they go crazy. It just amazes me. I'm going, man, why in the world do they go berserk over that? Oh, they rubbed their sweat on this stinky old handkerchief, and they threw it, and I'm, oh, oh, I just can't imagine. You know, I've smelt a man that's been out working hard, <laughs> and it's not something I want to get close to. <laughs> I'm thankful I didn't live in the Western days when they took a bath once a week. <laughs> I'm so thankful I didn't live then. Because, you know, it had been very challenging. Of course, I guess you get used to it. I don't know. I, whatever. But that's the last thing I want is somebody to wipe their forehead with a sweaty rag and then give it to me and go, oh, they touched it. Or these people that go around and go through a garbage can and pick up a piece of gum that they'd, chewed, that they'd chewed on. Oh, this is Springsteen's gum. Oh. And they put it on eBay and people actually buy it. I mean, we live in an idolatrous situation in society, and I'm just amazed at that. So if you find something like that, or you find a piece of Cheeto, a Cheeto that looks like the image of Jesus, put it on eBay. You'll get a thousand bucks for it. <laughs> wow! I'm putting this in my little case here, and oh man, I'm going to worship this little thing. I mean, find one. Hey, if I find one, hey, I'll put it on eBay and sell it for a thousand bucks too. <laughs> no, I'd probably just eat it. <laughs> Oh, there's a thousand dollars. So we live in a society that is very idolistic in the idol, not idol like the kind we have high morals. We do have our own idols that we have and we worship: goddesses of sex, goddesses of, of Ferraris, goddesses of uh, Harleys, <laughs> Har- uh, goddesses of football, or gods of football. Had basketball, hockey. Let's see, did I miss anybody? Baseball, <laughs> golf. <laughs> so we have our own things. Tiger Woods. Whoa, there's a guy, isn't he? Man, he's a great golfer. And man, people just love that guy. They'll go all over the country to see, follow these guys. Well, hey, I've got the best guy in the world to follow, and his name's Jesus. And none of these guys have turned water into wine, none of these guys can walk on water. These guys would be crucified for their own sin, <laughs> no matter who they are. So we've got a better guy to follow. Now, Paul gets away from the sexual stuff, and now he hits them other places that we all live, and that's no thieves. No thief will, inherit, will see or inherit the kingdom of God. Woo. Now, I, there's probably not very few of us in our life that we haven't taken something that didn't belong to us. I was a pretty good shoplifter when I was a kid. I could steal pretty good. 
You know, I started smoking when I was 11, and of course you can't buy cigarettes when you're 11. I'd have bought them if they'd have sold them to me. <laughs> but I couldn't, so I had to go steal them. And it was a lot easier back then, so I used to go in the store, put a carton under each arm, walk out. I, man, I, could, I was pretty good at that. Only time we ever got caught was when I was with my sister. And we were sitting there, and I think it was Woolworths that we was in. And she seen something she wanted, and I says, Sandra, don't take it. They're watching. Oh, no, they're not. I says, yes, they are. Believe me, they're watching. Oh, no, they're not. Well, she hadn't even got it in her pocket before. Here comes the guys. Let's see what you got, <laughs> you know. And uh, so they take her back, and I was with her. <clears throat> I says, I didn't take nothing. He said, I don't care you with them. I says, man, you're not taking me anywhere. Took 10 guys to get me in that back room. I'm not kidding, you want to see something that was moving, moving lightning. And I had feet and arms and legs, and they probably remembered me for a long time after that. I probably, they probably had some bruises for that, because, hey, I was guilty, but not that time. I didn't do it that time. Not that time I was innocent. The first time in my life I was innocent. And then we go walking out into the police car, and uh, we walk by these two bikes that we'd stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Are those your bikes? No, never saw them before in my life. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we go home, and, you know, I didn't mind. You know, it was bad enough that my sister got me into this mess, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't know whether I've ever forgiven her, come think of it. <laughs> the blood on my perfect record. <laughs> the hardest thing, I think, was probably maybe... Ten, nine, ten years old. I don't know how old he was. I was just a little. I was just young, long, long time ago. And I started going to Sunday school then, and I was going to church because, like, I got crush on the pastor. <laughs> don't know how I became Assembly of God. That's how I did it. <laughs> that converted me. <laughs> he was so handsome. Woo! He was good looking, and I. Yeah, God works in strange ways. So anyway, the hardest thing about this whole episode is that they called my pastor. And he, they told him what we had done. And, oh, Dad, I'd rather have you beat me. Beat me, ground me to my world room. Tie me up. Don't feed me for a year. I don't care, but don't tell the pastor. So anyway, so he had a nice little talk with us. Of course, I pleaded my innocence. I told her not to do it, Pastor. I told her, but she would not listen to me. And I'm being punished unjustly. But I have been a thief in my life. I've stolen things from work. Of course, I know none of you have ever done that. Never taken a pen home, never taken some paper home from work. You've never done that. Just me, I know. And Randy, he worked for the government, so you know what kind of stuff we had. <laughs> oh, we had some good stuff. Man, I'll tell you, it cost a lot of money when he got saved. <laughs> no comment? Okay. <laughs> Guilt. <laughs> so but we've always been there. We've all been there, haven't we? Innocent is what we've, you know, we were or whatever because, you know, that's just 
We just can't resist that little guy standing on our shoulder, can we? And then he talks about covetousness or the greedy. Now, we try to get around covetousness because we say, well, I want one just like the one he has. So we don't say we want the one they have. Now we say it's just like the one that they have because I don't want to be covetous. I'm going to want one just exactly like that one. That's the way we try to get around it. But covetousness is where we get the word greedy from. Now, this word comes from uh, uh, a word that the sailors used in ships when they called grappling hooks, and they'd throw the hook over to uh, the other ship, and they'd kind of pull them together and hold them. And that's kind of where we get greedy, the word greedy from, because that's what greedy people do. They get a hold of stuff, they reach out, they want to grab everything that they see or what they want, and they won't ever let it go. Those are the people that's hard to give any money to God because <laughs> you can't get them to let go of it. Because, and, but God calls it a sin to hang on, to want to hang on to stuff over what God wants us to hang on to things. Or, of course, I feel that way about my gun, our guns. They'll get our guns when they, when they pry them out of our cold, dead fingers. <laughs> if you're an IRA or I, IRA, AR, NRA, I'll get the initials right here in a minute. We are, in case you don't know it, we, we believe in gun ownership and right, their rights. If you don't, then that's fine. But uh, <clears throat> every right that we have, we've got to stand up for, even if you don't agree with it, because if they don't, sooner or later they're going to come after one you like. So we have to be careful. We can't let give up anything. Uh, drunkards was the next thing on the list. Now, we, this one's kind of a, one a little easier for us to understand because we see all around society that we live in the problem that, we, that people have with alcohol. And people that are, just, you know, what we would call drunkards, people that just drink all the time. And, you know, before we were saved, you know, kind of like us, any? Only we held down regular jobs. <laughs> All right, I know I drank more than you did. Only because I got off two hours earlier than he did. <laughs> that was the only reason. <laughs> so, but we, <laughs> so we know we can look in our society about the people that, that their families suffer because of this. I remember the, you know, the story of the guy that he drank. Every, you know, he'd get paid once a week. And as soon as he got paid, if his wife didn't see him, whatever, he'd be down to the bar and he'd drink up the whole check before he could get home. And his kids wouldn't have any food, he wouldn't have anything. And they would, they'd just struggle. And the wife had to get on odd jobs and things like that, try to make a living because he was so attached to his, his booze. And when you're in that situation, you just, it's, it's something that you can't, you're in bondage to it. And you just have a hard time getting away from it. Well, this guy eventually got saved. And so, come Friday afternoon after he got saved, he brought his check home. He went into the store and he got groceries and he brought all these things into the house and he set all the groceries on the table and did all these other kind of things. And he didn't know what kind of response he was going to get from his wife. But she came in and she just sat at the table and she just cried and cried and cried. And he said, well, what's the matter? She says, I w whatever power that can change you into the man that you are now. That's the God. That's what I want to know. I want that same thing. Because and that's the power that God has to treat these kind of things. See, God has a, has a solution for all the problems that we have. No matter what it is, see, it's dealt with in here. But if people don't want to come to God, God says, here, there it is. So we, we understand that one. Because drugs and alcohol, they're destroying so many homes and so many families. 
that we understand why that one's on the list because it's a devastating thing. A lot of things that people do, if someone, you know, don't affect other people. But if you're drinking and driving, you change someone else's life forever. So we understand that. Revilers. Now that word we kind of have a little problem with, but it means slanderers. The people that want to seek other, destroy other people with their words. Around election time, we get a lot of this, don't we? <laughs> what they don't know, they'll make up. So we understand this. The Bible doesn't like slanderers. It doesn't like uh, people making up things to hurt other people verbally. And we know that words hurt. That's why God wants us not to, to watch our words and be careful what we say. Because God's words are supposed to build up, not tear down. And if you have children, those are especially true. Because we want to build up our kids and not tear them down. If all we do is tear down our kids the whole time they're home, tell them how stupid they are. And they're never going to amount to anything. They're never going to amount to anything. But if we tell our kids how great they are and how wonderful that they are and how, how fortunate and how blessed we are to have them as kids and all these things and build them up and build them up, then they will move heaven and earth trying not to disappoint us. That's the reality of life. So our words are powerful. Extortionists or swindlers. Now there's going to be a lot of those that I'd like to be in the corner of, of judgment when they, when, when they stand before God, wouldn't you? Some of these people that go around and they get a lot of these older people that don't know, understand what they're getting into, and they sign away their homes or they sign away their life savings, thinking that they're, this guy is there to help them because they trust people. God has a place for them. Now, those people that, that steal money from places, doctor the books, trying to, you know, to get money, God doesn't like it. And it's on this list. And everybody, all this stuff was going on in Corinth. Now, Revelation 22:15 it adds a couple things that is not in that list. Evidently, that wasn't as big; these weren't as big of problems as they were these other things that Paul listed. And it says, uh, "But outside the city are perverts and those who practice magic, the immoral and murderers, those who worship idols, and those who are liars, both in word and deed." So, he adds a few more things to the list: murderers. You know, we we know that that's, you know, we know that's you shouldn't murder people. Doesn't say, Bible says thou shalt not kill, means thou shalt not murder. When you're in war, there's times when, you know, we have to kill to protect yourselves, defend yourself, and, you know, there are those times. But he says thou shalt not murder. Practice magic. There's a lot of people in the occult now. And as we get closer to the end times, which we're in, there's more, more occult stuff going on now than there ever has been. If you listen to some of these songs by these rock bands, Man, it's scared to death, the words of those songs. Calling demons to come and possess them and all this other kind of stuff and all this music that they're listening to. I'll tell you, if I had to be in a room listening to some of that stuff, I'd want to kill somebody, wouldn't you? Man, whoa, I listen to that stuff. Whoa, let me out of here. Because it's, there's just something about it. But it gets a, hold of, gets a hold of them. And all those things is on this list. <clears throat> So anyone that practices these sins says they're not going to heaven. So if you have any doubt, when somebody asks you those things, hey, just go to God's list. Well, let me say, let's, this is what the Bible says about this. And we know that um, whether we like it or not, this is God's list. Now, in America, we legislate things to make sure that it's okay. If it's wrong and we know it's wrong, then all we do is make a law making it right. So we change it to an alternate lifestyle, we legalize this, and we legalize that. 
But God doesn't legalize any of this stuff. Now, we have the, you've seen these signs in places that says we have the right to refuse service to anyone? Well, God has the right to. <laughs> we have a right to let people into our house that we want in and refuse to let other people into our house. Well, heaven is going to be God's house. And he has the right to refuse entrance to anybody. But when we look at it logically, if God let all this stuff in, would it really be heaven? It'd be just like here. And I don't like this place well enough to live there etern- for the rest of my life, do you? So now we go back to the verse, and man, I'll tell you, I'm already feeling bad because I see myself in this list. Probably a lot more of them than I really like to admit. So I think, man, now this is scary. Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to realize that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be in heaven. But see, I'm thankful for verse 11. See, it's verse 11 is where we get the hope and reality from. And it says, and that is what some of you were. These things are what some of you used to be. See, were, that's past tense. So you could go into the church at Corinth, and you could be sitting right next to a formal homosexual person or a formal thief, a former whatever it might be, and you could be here sitting next to somebody like that today. You sit next to me, you'd be sitting next to a former thief. Probably a a former murderer because we helped pay for an abortion of one of my... Of somebody in our family years ago for we saved because we didn't understand we were stupid. This was 30, 30, 40 years ago. We were stupid. So I'm guilty. We're guilty. I'm guilty of a lot of these things. I've lied in my life. I've done a lot of these things. So I'm on this list. But I'm thankful. That's what I used to be. That's what I used to be. But I'm not that anymore. Because why? What is it? It says, In verse 11, because you were washed. Hallelujah, I've been washed. (laughs) I praise God, I've been washed. Now, this doesn't mean I took a bath. I do take baths, but that didn't do me any good. (laughs) Taking a bath isn't going to get me through, get me into heaven. I can take all the baths I want. won't matter. God needs to clean us up from the inside because it's inside of us that's dirty. It's inside of us that needs to be cleansed. It's the inside of us is the reason that Jesus came and died on the cross. So he didn't leave me there. He loved me too much to leave me there. He loved me, he died for me because he wanted me to be in heaven with him. And so he wanted to clean me up. And we don't ask people to take a shower before they take a bath. You know anybody that's ever taken a shower before they take a bath? And then neither does God. God. We come to God, he washes us, and then he gets all this stuff out of our life a little by little by little by little out of our life. A lot of things we know instantly we shouldn't do, but there's a lot of gray areas that God has to deal with. And after, you know, if somebody's doing something, they've been a Christian for a year, and their life hasn't changed, hey, you need to get saved. Because God says that there's going to be a change. If you're the same person you was before, You need to get saved because when Christ comes into our life, there's a difference. There's a change. I know there's a change in our life because our friends didn't want to hang out with us anymore. One set of friends joined us in serving Christ and come to Christ. But the rest of them, hey, automatically separate your friends. You're no fun to be around if you're not going to drink, not run around and carouse and Tell dirty jokes and all these things. You're no fun to be around. 
Okay, that's all right. I don't care. It didn't bother me in the least because, hey, I've been washed. And when you're clean, you feel differently about your life. And you're a different person. See, but he didn't only wash us. He sanctified us. He set us apart for a different purpose. When I was born and I was raised in sin and lived in sin my whole life, I did, the only thing I had to look forward to was hell and death and misery. But God says, I've sanctified you, I've washed you, and I've brought you over here, and I have a different purpose for your life. And that purpose is to clean you up and make you what I want you to be, to give you a life full of joy and peace and happiness and give you heaven so you can go to heaven. That's my will for your life. So he washed us and he sanctified us. Hallelujah, I'm excited about being sanctified because and there's nothing worse than not having a purpose in your life. You've got to have a purpose. You've got to have a reason to get up in the morning. You've got to have a reason to go to work. You've got to have a reason to everything. We are very goal-oriented, whether we admit it or not. We've got to have a reason to do stuff. If you have nothing to do, you're just going to sit home and watch soap operas or watch TV and eat chocolates and get more depressed. But that isn't God's will. God has sanctified you. He set you apart from all these things in the world, and he has a better purpose for us. And I'm thankful he has a purpose for me. So you're saved and you're sanctified. <clears throat> I wore, uh, see, where's my next, my next one? I have to find my verse again. I got all excited and lost my place here. Verse 11. Huh? I didn't hear you. <laughs> okay, anyway, God has a purpose for us. So what lessons do we learn from these verses? Because that's what I want to get to. What do we learn from these? First thing we learn is that there's moral dimensions to our commitment. There is a moral aspect. Some people think you can do whatever you want once you've accepted Christ. But according to these verses, God says we can't. There's a moral obligation to us as Christians. And we're not the same person that we need to be. And the second thing we learn is that God has the power available to transform us. People think that if you're a homosexual, you're born that way. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Why would God condemn you to hell for being a homosexual if he made you that way? Does that make any sense? It doesn't. It's not in the DNA. It's in the sin nature that's in our lives. That's where it's at. And as soon as God, we deal with the sin in our life, then God can transform us. He has that power to save us. He has that power to transform us. And he has the power to make us what he wants us to make us. That's his will for our life. And we're justified. That was the other word I missed. Justified. Now, justified, that, that's an important word. It means he makes us just as if we'd never sinned before. So if we come to God and we say, oh, God, forgive me for... For stealing stuff, he'll say, I don't remember that. When did you ever steal anything? When did you ever do any of these things? Because we were justified. Because in God's eyes, in God's mind, we never did any of that stuff. And I'm excited about that because God gives us a clean slate. Man, talk about a second chance. Everything's clean. Oh, the devil's going to sit over here on your shoulder and tell you all these things that you used to do. But God says, hey, you're clean. You're justified. I've taken care of that, and I don't remember it anymore. So I'm thankful for that. There's a story of um, Charles Wesley and how he's the founder of the Methodist Church. And this was back in the old days when the Methodist Church were Pentecostals because uh, 
Most of your mainline religions, they were Pentecostal when they first started, just in case, just, just a little side note there. But John, the, he was founder of Methodist Church, and when he was a young man, he admittedly was very secretarian and very judgmental. He thought he and the people who agreed with him were the only ones who were going to heaven. Everybody else was probably going to hell. Then one night, years later, Wesley dream, dreamed that he was standing at the gates of hell, and he de decided to find out who was in there. So he cupped his hands and yelled, Are there any Presbyterians in there? Back came the answer, Yes! Are there any Baptists in there? Yes! Are there any Episcopalians in there? Yes! I'll add, Are there any Assembly of God people in there? Yes! <laughs> it took a lot of nerve for him to do it, but finally he asked, well, are there any Methodists in there? Yes, came the answer. Suddenly, in his dream, he found himself before the gates of heaven, so he decided to try the same procedure again. Are there any Presbyterians in there? No, came the answer. Are there any Baptists in there? No, came the answer. Are there any Episcopalians in there? No. Are there any Assembly of God people in there? No. Are there any Methodists in there? No, came the answer. Well, then, pray tell, tell me, who's in there then? Back came the answer. Christians. We're only Christians here. Just Christians. God doesn't care about denominations. Only Christians, those that have been sanctified and washed and justified, those are the ones that's going to be in heaven. If you happen to be an assembly of God and go to heaven, that membership in this church is going to mean nothing. That's just to help you while you're here. I don't need that when I'm in heaven. I'm a Christian, and we're going to be with believers from every tribe, tongue, denomination across this world. So God isn't into that. We are. So when we get into someone that says, you have to belong to this church in order to make it to heaven, say, no, there ain't any of those people go to heaven. That'll really frost them, won't it? There aren't any of those people in heaven. <laughs> see, God just wants to save us. He wants to sanctify us, and he wants to justify us. But see, we have to come to him. We have to be willing to come to him, and we have to be willing to let him change our DNA. Because he wants to change our DNA. He wants to change us from the inside out. And once he changes us from the inside out, we're new creatures. And he has a new purpose for us. That's God's will for our life. I want to go to heaven. And I know how to get there. All I got to do is believe in Christ. That's all I have to do. We're not, and when we get to heaven, we're not going to be judged. People who go to hell aren't going to be judged for their sin. They're going to be judged for what they did with Jesus. Because Jesus paid the penalty for their sin. Now, they just chose not to accept the gift. Heads bowed, eyes closed. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning, and you say, hey, man, I'm in, I was on that list. I've got a lot of things on that list that I haven't dealt with or I need to deal with, and I don't know Jesus. Is that here? you here this morning? But you want to you wanna be washed and sanctified and justified this morning. Let me see your hand. Anyone this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, maybe I've, I've kind of slacked off a lot in my life. But I want to 
I want to make a new commitment to Christ today. I want to want to start fresh this morning and dedicate my life to him. And I want to be able to, to let God change me, to overwhelm me with the things in my life. And if I'm having a problem with one of these things, I want to submit myself to God and his power to change me. Is that you this morning? Let me see your hand. He's able to change us this morning. Only he can change us. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this day.